I, I come to bring a message to you today that hopefully gives you a strength in your perspective on the difficulties of your life that you'll be able to carry into the rubber meets the road days that you'll face going forward. About 35 years ago, our brother in the faith, Elmer Beasy, was told he had six months to live. Uh, the doctor told Audrey, make this the best Christmas ever because it'll be Elmer's last. He lived until just last year, age 81. <laughs> a few months, uh, weeks after that, doctor made that statement. They couldn't find that cancer that he said was riddling the inside of Elmer's body. Is that family had prayed and God listened and said yes. About six weeks ago, our sister in the faith, Ann Alf, was told she had a mass in her side that could be cancer, and if it was, it wouldn't be good. And they prayed, and the next time she went in for her pre-surgery visit, the doctor said, I cannot explain it, but it's gone. Praise God, right? God listened. Lana, sitting in the back, just told me to pray for her ankle, and then she stopped and said, no, it feels better. I think God just healed it. God listens to prayer. She said, he did. God listens to our prayers. And those are stories that we need to hear to encourage us to do what Jesus said, be like the persistent widow talking to the judge and keep praying and trusting. But today, we're going to talk about what about when God listens, but he says, no, I want you to keep this illness and I want to work with you in regard to this difficulty or this problem in your life. See, God is still listening, but it does a number on your faith when you hear stories like I shared, and you've got a chronic illness or a chronic problem, and it, doesn't, it won't change. You can't control it. God's not changing it. It makes you wonder if He's there at all. It makes you wonder if He's good if He is there. It makes you wonder if He's smart if He's there, because it seems really dumb for Him to leave this problem in your life. It makes, it makes you doubt, which is the opposite of faith. And it's, I want you to know that God's Word here at this place from the pen of the Apostle Paul is God's help. It's His Word to you if you are dealing with chronic problems, even chronic health problems. Now, the Apostle Paul was one of God's superstars. He, he said... In a letter he wrote, I worked harder than them all. You know how God converted him. He knocked him off his horse when he was chasing after Christians to persecute him. Talked to him audibly. Said, you're, you're persecuting me, Jesus Christ. And then later sent Ananias to say, I'm going to show you what must, things you must suffer for my name's sake. You're going to have a very big part in the spread of the gospel, but you're going to have very big trouble going along with it. You know how Paul was given the power to heal people? He, he was. He healed people, raised the dead. Paul, Paul was special. And at a certain point in his life, after he had come to faith like this, God let Paul do something we don't know that he's let anyone else do. Maybe he has, but we know he let Paul do it. He let him see heaven before he died. He took him up to heaven and showed him heaven. And Paul said, I, I saw things that I, I, I'm, I'm forbidden to tell. He said it right before this word of God that we're about to cover. 
And when God treats someone special like he treated Paul, and that someone is not Jesus, who's perfect, that's a huge risk, isn't it? Because when you know God is treating you special, you and I, as sinners, and Paul was a sinner just like us, we are tempted to be conceited. First in our heart, and then outwardly it gets displayed, where we feel like we're cut out of a little better lumber than other folks, because God's been so special to us. And Paul, was, he was vulnerable to that sin. And so God mixed the blessings I just mentioned with trouble in Paul's life. And one of the troubles was health problems. Paul calls it a thorn in the flesh. That's a great picture, right? It is a picture when he says it. It's a thorn in the flesh. And Paul prayed. When you get a health problem like that, it arrests your attention. Right? We don't know what it was. Some people say it was an eye problem, or some people say maybe it was a, a, a terrible uh, orthopedic problem that made him limp. I don't know why over the years people would be guessing about stuff like that. Paul didn't tell us. There's no way of knowing. But this we know. It really was a problem in his life that caused pain, and people could see it. He couldn't hide it. So it was something that you couldn't put a suit over and cover it up. Paul had a health problem that was obvious, made him look weak. Now, when you're wanting to do what Paul wanted to do for God, it seems dumb that God would give you that, and it seems right that since you're a child of God and He listens to you, that you guys are close, that you talk to God in ardent prayer saying, God, take it away. I'm trying to do good for you here. Take this away from me. And so he said, three times I prayed that way. And he said what God taught him was very interesting and powerful. God did not change. This is for us. God did not change Paul's situation, but he he changed Paul's perspective. And that increased Paul's faith. And that increases our faith. So we're learning, if you are dealing with chronic illness or someone you love is, we're learning from Paul about what God is doing for us when he allows that to continue, even though he's listening to our prayers. And so follow Paul with his little story, but make sure you apply this to your story. That's why we're here today. So listen carefully to what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Therefore... In order to keep me from being conceited by seeing heaven, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. Now, he's he's not saying like, Lord, take it from me. Lord, take it from me. Lord, take it from me. He's talking about three prayer vigils he held. Ardent times, probably lasting for a while. Three times I prayed. Take it away from me. This is stupid. Get it off of me. Be my God and Savior. Show your power and your love. Get rid of this, Lord. Verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That was what God told him. So Paul says, Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, new perspective, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I have a new attitude. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What was God's answer to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. We need to unpack that a little bit to really get to understand what it means for Paul and then what it means for us. That word sufficient is a translator's choice. Another choice would be the word enough. Some translations say that. My grace is enough for you. In other words, I'm listening. You're praying. You're asking to take this health problem away that's terrible in your life to you. But I'm telling you, you don't need me to heal you and you don't need me to give you any other blessing in order for you to be okay. My grace is enough for you. Well, what is grace? It's important. It may sound like an elementary question you ask a kindergartner, but it's very important to understand what grace is. For God, it's everything that He does for us, even though we have no way of ever deserving any of it. It was grace that He made us, and it's grace that He put our guilt on His Son so damned sinners like us have a destiny of heaven. It's grace that He got that message past all our silly intellectual mysticism and moralism, and we came to faith by grace. Faith is a gift of grace. Paul, I made you, I saved you, I brought you to the faith, I put you in the ministry by grace. Me being your gracious God who brought you on my team that way forever and ever and ever, who's got a heaven waiting for you and a place I'm preparing for you, that is enough. You don't need a job that you're praying for. You don't need a health solution that you're praying for. You don't need a problem solved in your family that you're praying for, for it to be enough. What is enough is that you have my grace. You might think of it this way. There's a whole bunch of kids uh, this year and thinking about next year who are hoping to get a scholarship for athletics in, in a college. And finally, some of them will get one. The coach will say, we're going to give you a full ride if you'll come play volleyball or basketball or swim or football, soccer for us. We'll, we will pay all of your education. It's called a scholarship. It's a gift. And then that one of those kids, imagine, gets in practice and it's ardent and hard and they're getting awakened early in the morning by their coach or their teammates and get over here and work out and they don't like the, the, the work that it takes and they're complaining and they're saying, give us a break. And the coach says, it is enough that I gave you a scholarship. It's enough. You're, you got a, whole, a full ride for four years. Give me a break, God, Paul says. And God says, no, it's enough that I, I saved you. That helped Paul understand, and this is what I want you to understand. 
You don't need relief. You might get it, like we mentioned. We, we all are here by grace, right? And we're getting blessings. And we keep praying. This is, the, this is the conundrum in the middle of life. You pray and you receive. And sometimes what you receive is a word from God instead of a, what you ask for. And that word from God teaches you now how to play the game. Remember the scholarship example? This is what I need for you, God says. I need for you, Paul, to keep this thorn in the flesh. And here's the word that I put in the theme. Learn to embrace it. Learn to receive it as a gift. Oh, that sounds so great when the preacher says it. It does to him anyway, by the way. But it is so hard to practice. It is so hard to truly believe that. Learn to embrace the health problem. You know I'm with you in this boat. You know I've got health problems. I've had a big one for 12 years plus. And I have complications that I don't talk about all the time, but I live through them every day. And when I started meditating on this passage and thought, i got to preach this to myself, embrace it as a gift from God. God doesn't want any of us to be conceited. God doesn't want any of us to live our lives as if we don't need Him. And He says, embrace what you've got because my grace is sufficient for you. There's a little word you've heard of before. It's the word F-O-R, for in English. It actually is a translation of a three-letter word in Greek, gar. And it means, I'm going to explain to you, God says to Paul, I'm going to explain to you with a for what I'm doing while I say my grace is sufficient. So God doesn't just say, my grace is sufficient, so stop complaining. (laughs) He has one more little phrase, but it's packed with meaning. This is what he says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Remember what we said, Paul was special, and it's easy to listen to the life of Paul, even in print, because none of us lived our lives with him, and say, wow, he really had a special ride with God. And it's easy to look at that and go, well, he lived in a different world than I do. My problems are they're, they're too complicated to be compared to Paul's. God said, oh no, look, Paul's got a thorn in the flesh, an obvious health problem, an impediment, something that made it even maybe difficult to always see him as such a star because he looked so plain and humble and homely because of his health problem. And God said, that's when my power is made complete, made perfect. Again, this is one of those places today in this text that uh, the language of the original has a meaning that English words don't fully just one word per one word translation help us with. So I'm going to do some explaining. The word for perfect is the same word for finished. You know, when Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. You could have translated it because it's the same word here. It is perfect. But we never say that at Good Friday, do we? It just doesn't communicate, right? But the word, my power is made perfect in weakness, is the idea that my power completes itself and takes itself to the complete end in a person's life while the person is weak. While they're weak, then they will 
they will experience the power of God as they learn to depend on Him through their weakness. Moms, you remember when it kind of made your heart ache when your little kids said, I'll tie my own shoes. Aww. I wanted to tie them with you. I wanted to tie them for you. But you want them to learn how to tie their shoes, right? God says, I am God. I'm always going to be God. I'm always going to be. I heard a, a mother on the plane. She was talking behind me yesterday as I was, or two days ago, I was flying home. And she's talking, you know how when the plane's really loud and there's that person in the plane that talks really loud and everybody can hear them? I was thinking there's like 10 rows that can hear this lady. And she talked the entire two-hour flight. So she's, she's telling her parents, who are kind of hard of hearing and the plane's kind of loud, about her conversation with her daughter. And she's saying, you know, you really need to build uh, this, this Haley up. You need to build her up because she, she, she worries about what everybody thinks or whatever. And then just a few sentences later, and we're all like this, so I'm not, I'm not judging her. She says, and I was telling Haley, you need to do this and do that. And she says, Mom, let me do it. And I told her, I'll always be your mother. I'm still going to tell you when I see things, she said. And I thought, that's eh, kind of similar to God in a way. He says, I'm always your God. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, Paul tells you how he takes this in the next line. So please go with me to that next line. This is what Paul says. Therefore, since God told me this, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That word rest is like the picture of a a tent resting over the people camping inside of it. He says, the power of Christ will rest over me when I'm weak, so that I'm living in the power of Christ, so that when people see someone with a, a problem, today the feature for right now, just for in a minute it's going to change, but the feature is health problems. When people see a Christian with a health problem and they still trust God for grace and forgiveness, they still believe heaven is their home, they still believe God is good, even though they're going through this difficulty, chronic, maybe even serious, terminal illness. That doesn't mean they never complain. That doesn't mean they never wonder, confused, or out of sorts. My goodness, look at Job. The guy was so out of sorts. If you read Job with a thoughtful spirit, you can see how he's complaining. You might even think the guy was denying his faith. But he's not. He trusts God. He's talking to God. He's complaining to God. But he still believes God is good. That's why he wants to talk to God. And he keeps begging, I want my day to talk to you. And he was having his three-time prayer vigil, kind of like the Apostle Paul. Same, two different guys, same issue going on, right? Satan is after Job. He had asked for his soul. And, and God says, yeah, go ahead, but don't take his life. And so Job is praying, 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 praying. But he's what? He's not giving up the faith. And his story right now is so powerful to being 4,000 years old. Paul's is 2,000 years old. I can stand up here and talk to people who've heard about it, and it increases your faith to hear about it because God's power rests on Job's life. It was the power of God's word and his love and his grace and his presence every passing minute, every passing hour. And as Christians like us who are suffering learn to trust in God every passing minute, every passing hour, even though they go through terrible anxieties, stresses, confusion, or whatever, we say, oh God, I believe you're there. You're teaching me in my heart. Your grace is sufficient. Your power is resting over my life like a tent. I will walk with you. God says, then the world will see what a wonderful God you have instead of what a wonderful superstar 
you are. You don't want God, you know, I'm sorry, you don't want people to take from your Christian life how wonderful you are, because frankly, that won't help them much at all. You want them to take what a wonderful God you have, right, so that they can see the God who sustains you. Oh, you mean there's a spiritual aspect to the illness that you leave in my life that I keep praying that you would take away? Yes, you got it. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see how this is, a, this is like one train track running alongside another one. The other train track is your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Take care of it. You can improve your health. You can work on things. Go to the doctor. Get help. And there's healing miraculously and through medicine. And you pray about it and you work on it. But that's one train track. Exercise. Diet. Good sleep habits. The other train track is what? God might leave and He will for all of us at certain times health problems so his power can be complete for you and everybody who watches you it can come to completion do you understand this is i'm gonna keep preaching if you don't say yes okay all right they want to get out of here okay so so god says my power is made perfect in weakness and paul says so i've learned to boast in them to boast in my weaknesses. Okay, let's read on. And he says, that's why, for the sake of Christ, in other words, for the sake of glorifying Christ and walking with Christ and loving my Savior, for the sake of Christ, what does that next word say? I what? Delight. Now that sounds like some cheap church talk that isn't really practiced, but it's easy to say. I delight. It's not cheap church talk. He means it. I delight in weaknesses, insults, and hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. He just broadened it. He broadened it. The lesson he learned about his health also applied to the people that insult him. There's, you're carrying some hurts, oh, some old, some new maybe, or in this room, of people who've insulted you, people who've criticized you, people that put you down. And, and you know what? It's time to quit nursing that hurt and quit feeling sorry for yourself and quit being mad at them. In their, God has been using the sinful nature of other people to cause you to be weak for people for mil, thousands of years. He's been doing that because he wants that also to be part of the weakness that his tent of power, of grace, comes and tents over. I can still remember it like yesterday. It was just a few years ago. One of our own members was really upset with me. He thought I was a false teacher. So he waited till between our services at 8 and 10.30. And he got on the internet and bam, said, go to my website and you will hear how Pastor Patterson is a false teacher. Somebody got it on their phone. They ran up to me after church at 8 o'clock service said, did you know this? I said, no, I didn't know that was out there. And it hurt that somebody that once sat in these pews and listen to the sound of my voice preaching the gospel would so strategically try to sabotage what I'm trying to do for Jesus. Something good, right? And the phrase that he didn't like was, Jesus forgave all your sins before you ever committed any of them. And I kind of smiled after I you know, went to the website later that day and thought, oh, well, that's okay. 
Because there was a recording in my voice saying Jesus died for the sins of everybody and he forgave him before you ever were born. I thought, well, if that's what you're going to criticize, that's awesome. You got, everybody watch that, right? But I was learning through that and similar things where the insults of people are actually something you can learn to embrace instead of feel sorry for yourself, no matter what they are. That's what Paul says, I delight in them. I delight in persecutions and in health problems and difficulties. Do you see what he's trying to teach us? This is grow up time. But it's not just grow up and suffer. It's grow up and celebrate. The power of God in the grace of God gives you internally the ability to treat hardships as an imposture if they think they're going to steal your joy, when you are already scholarshiped on the heavenly team, you are going to heaven. You are completely forgiven. On the last day of the world, if you died ahead of time, your body will be raised. Look at this body that you sometimes decry how old it's getting. It will be raised a glorious body. You are on the winning team all by grace. Don't let these hardships get so big in your mind that you lose sight of the fact that God is using them to show the world what He's like as you smile and give Him glory. Now, I've, I've watched saints do this, and I marvel because they do it better than I do. And it's easy to preach it to you. It's hard to practice. But I've been at their bedside when they knew it was, not, it was grim. And they've said, the Lord is good to me. Elmer Beasy would say, one of two things are going to happen. They're both good. The Lord's going to take me to glory, or He's going to give me the strength to keep doing what the things He has for me to do. Kept the best attitude He knew how to keep while He was going through that, right? He would be 81 today, by the way. Uh, when I was uh, uh, 22, 23, 24 years old, uh, I went through a, a very big spiritual awakening that, that led me to want to study to be a pastor, to bring this Word of God to people as my life's work. Before that, I had other plans. And I was voraciously studying the Scriptures and growing knowledge and, and application immensely in a young 20-year-old's, 20-something's pliable mind. The byproduct of that was a conceit that I expressed in different ways toward my parents because they just seemed to be stagnant to me in my little judgment of where they were. Active Christians going to church, but just not like, on, we'll say, on fire for Jesus, right? But I watched those two folks go through the suffering of one by one, first my dad and then my mother, go through the chronic and then terminal health issues and they held on to Jesus in a way that I had not yet ever even thought about. I could, I could say it, but then to really think about me having to do it. My father spent two and a half months in the nursing home with a tracheostomy, and it was a miserable two and a half months. And the grand prize on earth at the end was that he died of suffocation like we do so often with pneumonia. But in, their, in, in, their, in that room, my mother stayed there 24-7 unless we relieved her. In that room next to the bed where my father was, 
was this, and I got it. I, I just didn't bring it today because it's still packed away in a box from Mary and my move. But is a little plastic frame of about five by seven of, of a, like a bulletin cover piece of paper of a picture of Jesus praying in Gethsemane. You know that picture where he's got his hands on a rock and he's knelt down and the light's coming down on him? And at the very bottom of that little picture, in the, in the nursing home room, the little bottom of that picture are just the words, Thy will be done. And that's the attitude that my parents went through the gruesome loss of your loved one to a, an illness that makes them hard to look at. And then after that, three years later, my mother, she kept it by her bedside. That was the attitude, thy will be done. And that takes you to someone better than Paul, better than Job, but to Jesus Christ himself. Where is he? In the Garden of Gethsemane. What's about to happen? The day, next day, a gruesome death that made him hard to look at, right? He knew that being separated from God for you and me. And what did he pray in the garden? Just like Paul prayed three times, just like Job had those long prayers, what did Jesus say? If there's any other way, let your will be done. Any other way. And what did the Father say? There is no other way. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to show the world, and you are too, that we love them and forgive them, right? And so Jesus went to the cross, and we are the beneficiaries. God is asking us today to take this word to heart and learn. Learn that when we're going through a difficulty that he leaves in our life, to stop kicking at him and to stop falling into unbelief and doubt and to just say, I'm going to show them you, Jesus. You've given me a hope that transcends my illness or my persecutions or my problems. And I want to show you to the world. I want to, I want to be in my garden of Gethsemane saying if there's any other way, but also with a humble spirit that says, but I will do this for you even if it means this is my exit. You see, I started off by saying I want to give you something for your heart that changes you inside instead of changes your circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, help us to embrace our suffering. We still pray for change. We still pray for healing. We still believe you will. We like that best because it hurts so much and we're so weak. We're just dust. But we're asking you. If you're leaving it in our life in order for us to be a good witness and to show the world what your power of sustaining strength is like. If you're leaving it there because you want the world to see that we're not so big and not so important. But that you are the great God. Then help us to reflect that. Help us to believe it. Help us to embrace it and delight in it the way that Paul did. Lord, we don't believe Paul did that because he was a superstar. He did it because you are his superstar. Come and be our superstar while we go through the same kind of troubles that he did. Amen.